Finding the cure will take the stealth of Banner. They say no one ever escaped from Alcatraz. I wonder how many people have tried to break in. And the power of the Hulk. I've been a victim too long. Welcome to issue number three of Comics on Consoles, a podcast devoted entirely to the intersection between comic book characters and the interactive world of video games, and brought to you in part by Geeks and Gamers. I'm your host, Chris Clow, and want to thank you for joining me for this new edition of the podcast. Before we dive too deeply into this month's subject game, I have to share something. For those of you who were joining us after listening to the second issue, which told the story of the ill-fated Aquaman battle for Atlantis, I told you that an episode without a discussion co-host would hopefully be a rare occurrence going forward. Well, unfortunately it looks like this is going to be the regular standing of the show from here on out. Since I basically take on all of the duties of this show myself, from researching, drafting, writing, recording, editing, graphics, broadcasting, and ultimately publishing, Adding guest scheduling to the docket of duties is just slightly more than I can handle with a full-time job, so I apologize for falsely advertising the intent of the show from the beginning. I kind of underestimated the intricacy of getting people, especially people directly related to our subject games, lined up for episodes. So, I'm sorry that we're discussionless yet again, but rest assured, I've already secured some very good guests for issues that'll be arriving later in 2016, and I can't wait to share more of that info with you later on. So, with the preliminaries out of the way, let's jump in. As I alluded to at the end of our second issue, this month's subject game is another movie tie-in, but it has something of a different reputation when compared with many of its contemporaries. For the most part, the perception of it is actually pretty good. That's definitely saying something, because while this game doesn't really stand as nearly as much of a conversation starter as the film it's based on, the one thing that this one provides is a great deal of preliminary work for something else that would arrive down the road, this character's most definitive gaming experience yet. The game is Hulk, developed and released in 2003 by Radical Entertainment and Vivendi Universal Games, respectively. Based on the film of the same name directed by Ang Lee and starring Eric Bana and Jennifer Connelly, Hulk is deceptive by today's standards simply based on how inoffensive it stands in the legacy of comics-based video games. Don't let that fool you, though, because very much like the dichotomous existence of Bruce Banner and his enormous green rage monster of an alter ego, this release makes a concerted effort to combine two rather different experiences into one game. That attempt at fully exemplifying what it might actually be like to step into the stretchy purple pants of the Hulk ended up making for an experience that was half-loved and half-shrugged at. So, what kind of an experience is it? To begin to answer that, it becomes necessary for us to wind our clocks back to 2003, five years before Marvel Studios would burst onto the scene with their first film featuring Robert Downey Jr.'s beloved portrayal of Tony Stark, the characters of Marvel Comics largely made it to movie theaters from several different studios, all in self-contained worlds. It's only just now that shared universes are beginning to catch on in mediums outside of comics and television, 
and Hulk was made at the height of Marvel Comics' early 2000s movie-making rush. Comics fans could only dream of the possibilities surrounding some sort of crossover team like the Avengers ever making it to theaters in some fashion, as the closest we'd gotten up to that point was Brian Singer's original X-Men film three years prior, and the mind-blowing X2, released just a month prior to the theatrical opening of Hulk. 2003 was already proving to be a rather eventful summer at the movies, even by the time late June rolled around, with the return of the X-Men hitting big, as well as the returns of Neo, Trinity, and Morpheus in the highly anticipated sequel The Matrix Reloaded, having broken a series of box office records for R-rated films. The next big, highly anticipated blockbuster was Hulk, and for all intents and purposes, it looked like Studio Universal Pictures was simply holding on to a hit waiting to happen. They put the full force of their marketing machine behind the forthcoming superhero film, with stores flooded with all kinds of green memorabilia, a hit single from the band Velvet Revolver blasting the radio in the weeks prior to the film's release, and discussion of a potential sequel having already lit up the relatively primitive message boards of fan websites on the internet. Pre-release perception about the film was pretty focused on the fact that modern computer technology would be able to bring the massive strength and power of the Marvel Comics icon to life in brand new ways, with previews and release clips seemingly emphasizing the fact that this would be an action experience like few others before it. Having never been exposed all that heavily to the Hulk, save for some cartoons and a couple of episodes of the beloved TV series starring Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno, I was still anticipating going to the theater to watch it. I remember its opening day rather vividly, since I was visiting my family in Tehachapi, California, and I'd even watched my uncle's print shop for the afternoon while he was out running an errand. One of the things my 15-year-old self did in the shop that day was read a newspaper article about the new release of the film, which gave me a major hint at what I was about to see, a film that was marketed in a slightly deceptive manner. After my uncle dismissed me from the print shop, I walked across F Street in downtown Tehachapi and arrived at the Hitching Post Theaters, bought a ticket, and caught an afternoon showing. After I walked out of the theater, I remember being... confused. Maybe it was because this was unlike any superhero movie I'd seen before, and maybe it was because having just finished my freshman year of high school, I wasn't mature enough to understand the directorial style of Ang Lee. I walked back to my grandparents' house not with dislike or annoyance, but simply with puzzlement. I didn't know what I'd just watched, and truth be told, Hulk is still a film that I'm not entirely sure how to quantify. In the intervening 13 years that have passed, my understanding of pretty much every aspect of the world has increased pretty dramatically. At least, I hope so. As a comic book retailer without much Hulk-reading experience, I took myself through something of a crash course with the character during the height of my time at that job, absorbing at least portions of acclaimed runs by writers like Peter David, Bruce Jones, and Greg Pak. I also immersed myself in a lot of more diverse and varied films during college and as an adult, and now greatly value the works of timeless filmmakers like Federico Fellini, Akira Kurosawa, Orson Welles, Sidney Lumet, and, in recent years, the other works of modern auteurs like Ang Lee. But I struggle with Hulk because it's such an unusual hodgepodge of so many things. For me, it's virtually impossible to throw out perceptions about characters that I've derived from the source material, but there are traces of Peter David's character work, and his Hulk dogs, in the 2003 film. 
In a lot of ways, I actually rather admire Hulk for attempting to be something fundamentally different when compared with every other early 2000s superhero film, since Lee dared to try and make the story of Bruce Banner very much into a Greek tragedy. Still, that doesn't really mean that I necessarily like the film very much. It's not something I find myself watching with any regularity when compared with a plethora of other superhero movies, but it does stand as an interesting experiment, and I do own both a Blu-ray and a digital HD copy of the film. Of course, if this movie were based on anything other than a comic book superhero, I have a hard time believing that it would have ever been made into something like a video game. As was regular practice for the time, though, Hulk did end up giving us a console-based adaptation, I'm glad it did, too, because while it's not nearly as experimental as the film that Ang Lee made, it does go out on something of a limb by attempting to be very different in its own way. Those differences are, to me, what makes it a very enjoyable experience, and one I generally hold in higher regard than the movie it's based on. Why? Because like the movie, and some of the best comics, it embraces the dichotomy of Bruce Banner and the Hulk, and interprets it in such a way that it kind of creates two separate games for each character. We'll get into how it accomplishes that in a minute, but first, let's take a look at the history surrounding the game itself. Universal Interactive first announced the existence of a movie tie-in video game for Ang Lee's film just about a year before both would be released in early June of 2002. The announcement of the game's existence probably surprised a grand total of zero observers, since an early 2000s superhero film was almost guaranteed to receive some kind of video game cash grab. In fact, oftentimes studios would count on the revenue generated by a tie-in video game as a substantive addition to the total money an event film would take in. Hulk was no exception, and while the film was in the middle of principal photography, the video game was announced. Universal Interactive President Jim Wilson was quoted in the game's announcement release as saying, quote, The Hulk is one of the most physically powerful and emotionally compelling superhero characters ever created, and his transition to the world of interactive entertainment will extend all the power of this movie event and create a uniquely exciting game experience. Just like the other major merchandising and promotional efforts, Wilson explicitly calls the video game an extension of the, quote, movie event. And since comics fans and video gamers had come to expect the release of some kind of tie-in game, nothing about the initial announcement really seemed to indicate anything particularly special about the upcoming console-based experience. What fans didn't know when the game was announced was how heavily the film's production personnel were involved in the creation of the game. Film producer Larry Franco spoke about industrial light and magic visual effects supervisor Dennis Murin working with game designers at Radical Entertainment, as well as the game developers having access to the film's concept art and storyboards so that they could come up with a similar visual philosophy in the creation of the game. The first major ace up the game's sleeve, though, were the developers themselves. Radical Entertainment is a Vancouver, British Columbia-based game development house that got its start in 1991, and was certainly very experienced by the time they arrived at the Hulk project in the early 2000s. It wouldn't be their first licensed game either, since their software catalog also includes other titles spinning out of franchises like The Terminator, Speed Racer, Wayne's World, Beavis and Butthead, Independence Day, and various sports leagues. The vast majority of these games were poorly received, 
which likely made any gamers and comics fans paying attention even less interested in their project featuring one of Marvel's greatest icons. In 2001, though, gamers first glimpsed the potential of Radical based on another license that they would turn into a game. That was the year they released The Simpsons Road Rage, which was an homage to the classic Sega arcade and Dreamcast game Crazy Taxi. Road Rage was far from a critical darling when it was released, with reviewers of the time citing poor collision detection and clunky controls for the licensed racer, but it would eventually prove in another project to learn from these mistakes and make something better a couple of years down the road. This developer's time with the Hulk would ultimately prove to follow a similar, though not identical, path. Radical would also hardly be the first game development house to tackle the Hulk himself, since the character has a vibrant and prolific history in video games going back to the days of the Commodore 64 and the ZX Spectrum. He's appeared in every successive game console generation in at least some form since the second, which itself was ruled primarily by the Atari 2600. The Hulk game that at that point was largely considered the best example of adapting the character into the interactive format was the 1994 side-scroller The Incredible Hulk, which was developed by Probe Entertainment and released on Sega platforms like the Master System, Genesis, and Game Gear, as well as the Super Nintendo. Since video games had made the transition to three dimensions, though, a solo, dedicated Hulk video game experience, especially as a movie tie-in, would have to make quite the impression on gamers and critics if it was going to be considered a positive addition to the character's interactive legacy. That is what makes playing this game ultimately so enjoyable. You can tell that Radical put a lot of effort into making it as good as they could. While most movie video games simply try to recreate the events of the movie for players to move through, the first positive point earned by this game, at least from my perspective, comes from the position of its narrative. Instead of taking place immediately before, during, or after the events of the film, the Hulk game instead acts as a pretty far-reaching sequel since it takes place a full eight years after the events of the film. That's the same amount of time that Christopher Nolan chose to have pass between the events of The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. Immediately, that's what sets it apart from its contemporaries. The developers chose to go with an original story, unbound by the narrative of the film, and that's a good thing. Another positive point in this game's corner is the graphical look, which used one of the more popular design philosophies of the early 2000s. In 2002, Nintendo's now legendary GameCube game The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker popularized the use of a new form of non-photorealistic rendering called cell shading. By using less shading color in place of more traditional shade gradients, tints, or shadows, objects rendered in three dimensions can be seen to have a flat, almost two-dimensional look, making 3D models rendered with cell shading look like they're drawn by hand. This gave The Wind Waker, and other games like Bomberman Generations and Konami's 2003 revival of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, among many others, a very cartoon-like aesthetic, so it seems only natural that a character who originated in a two-dimensional art form would be featured with this graphical rendering style at some point. Beyond the very comics-esque art style of the game provided by the cell shading, Radical went out of their way to create the game's destructible environments by using procedural programming, which means that the destruction you see in the game is rendered on the fly by the game's physics engine, as opposed to using stock animations for things like breaking through walls or crumbling buildings. 
No two walls break in a completely identical way. Instead, walls break based on the trajectory, weight, and elements all at play when two objects collide, which is quite a bit more complicated than simply creating a pool of animations for destructible environments to draw from. The game also gets at least a few points in the authenticity department by enlisting the film's principal actor, Eric Bana, to reprise his role as Bruce Banner for the levels focusing only on Hulk's human alter ego. Generally, if you had problems with Banna's performance in the actual film, you likely won't find anything in the game that'll change your mind about his take on the character. He doesn't exactly put a lot of feeling behind the lines that he was given to recite for the game, but I tend not to hold it against him. The film's version of Bruce Banner was kind of an emotionally stunted guy anyways, and he basically just pushes that same philosophy forward for his lines in the game. It's not that surprising. Still, though, all of these generally good elements and philosophies are meaningless if the game itself doesn't play well. So, how does it actually fare when you pick up a controller? Well, it depends on who you ask and at what point during the game that you ask them. As I alluded to earlier, Hulk combines two very different styles of gameplay into one experience in order to effectively represent the dual nature of the main character. The first style, when playing as Bruce Banner, revolves around the element of stealth. The story calls for several high-security complexes for Banner to break into for one reason or another, usually revolving around a possible cure for the Hulk, or some supervillain commandeering a very secure fortress. The stealth elements are perfectly sound, but call for a very different type of logic than the rest of the game. While playing as Banner, you also have to employ a very rudimentary level of logic in solving small puzzles, which usually come in the form of a locked door you have to circumvent. While these elements are nicely playable and in some instances help to break up the action of the other levels, they are decidedly more boring than the rest of the game. There's nothing technically or fundamentally wrong with how these sequences play out, but when playing them I was very much reminded of the critical reception of the game's parent film. Why is this so quiet and unassuming? Doesn't this kind of miss the larger point of the Hulk? Thankfully, that's where the other part of the game kicks in. The big, green, angry part. In the entirety of the other part of the game, you play as the Incredible Hulk himself. In a fit of knockdown, drag-out combat where you slam your full ton of weight into the ground, pick up poles, trucks, and tanks to use as weapons, and clash with the might of the armed forces and other powerful entities, these sections of Hulk outshine the stealth missions by giving us just the slightest glimpse at what this game likely should have been completely. An unchained wrecking ball of power slamming through your enemies and unleashing the full, nearly unlimited strength of Marvel's iconic green-skinned powerhouse. Now, it's easy to see what Radical was going for, and to their credit, they try to provide a well-rounded and all-encompassing experience by giving us both sides of this infinitely psychologically rich and complex character. On paper, the idea of playing a game that calls on the more mental faculties of Bruce Banner while also calling on the unrestrained power of the Hulk sounds like a great idea and certainly would have gotten me excited if I'd heard about that concept ahead of the game's release. In execution, though, the result is that the fun factor of the Hulk segments simply outweighs, and frankly destroys, the utility that you can glean from the segments where you sneak around some lab or prison as Banner. 
it'd be a little easier to forgive if the game actually started you in Banner's guise and then built up to the first Hulk out moment. Instead though, the game weirdly decides to introduce you to playing the Hulk first and then forces you to switch back to Banner when the story kicks off in earnest. I have no idea why they did this, but it seems pretty clear to me that this was the wrong choice. While the opening level with the Hulk does serve as a combination flashback and controls tutorial, it seems to be working backwards from what conventional wisdom should tell you to do with any storytelling medium, build up to the bigger moment. That being said though, this does absolutely nothing to diminish just how right the developers at Radical were in their efforts to make you feel like the Hulk. With destructible environments, ungodly speed, titanic strength, and the character's trademark guttural ululation, 2003's Hulk video game gets the parts where you actually play as the titular behemoth more spiritually correct than the film managed to pull off that summer. Because the parts where you actually play as the Hulk himself were somewhat tempered by the slower, more methodical, and muted levels of Bruce Banner, its critical reception was a little mixed. Still, many high-profile outlets knew that when the game hit the right chord, it did so pretty spectacularly, and that was the biggest message that reviewers of the time largely seemed to communicate the most. As a result, review scores were kind of all over the place. The lower end of the spectrum came in the form of Game Informer's grade of 5.75 out of 10, which read, Three phrases describe the Hulk. Technically solid, aesthetically pretty, and phenomenally dull. In their review of the GameCube version, GameSpot is a little kinder. With a score of 6.9 out of 10, their review from Ryan Davis sums things up by saying, quote, For all that the Hulk misses on, the game gets enough of it right to tip the scales in its favor. Other outlets were a lot kinder to the experience, though. Nintendo Power Magazine issue number 171 gave the game a score of 4.2 out of 5, and IGN's Jeremy Dunham singled the game out as, quote, Radical Entertainment's best video game project ever, and going even further, he writes that, quote, Hulk is an incredible source of enjoyment. You see what he did there? Using the proper destroy-everything approach that a game of this nature needs in conjunction with an easy-to-learn combo system, the Hulk doesn't steer action fans wrong too often. He scored the game an 8 out of 10 on all platforms. Dunham's IGN review, though, even gets into prophetic territory when he writes, quote, The real treat, however, is sitting back and waiting for a rumored and possible sequel, a game that will more than likely fix the nitpicks of this version. How right he would end up being. The highest review score, though, comes from GameZone's Jason Dubin. He wrote, quote, Hulk fans rejoice! At last, there's a game worthy of the Green Beast, and you can count the Hulk as one of the best comic book games available thus far. While there are a number of things that could have used some improvement, this shouldn't keep gamers from enjoying this engaging smash-and-bash action game, end quote. He scored it an 8.5 out of 10. So, as you can probably tell, Hulk stands as a pretty solid gaming experience for the Big Green Avenger, but definitely had some kinks to work out. As I understand it, Radical Entertainment would be retained as the developer for the video game adaptation of the 2003 Hulk film's inevitable sequel. Marvel producer extraordinaire Avi Arad had even picked out May of 2005 as the likely release date for Eric Bana's second turn as Bruce Banner, but ultimately things would take a pretty different turn. In January of 2006, 
Arad revealed that Marvel Studios, which had recently moved away from simply licensing Marvel properties to actually developing movies, would be developing a new Hulk film. Universal had apparently not met a predetermined deadline to begin production on a new Hulk film, so Marvel Studios had reacquired the rights, and Universal would simply serve as a distribution partner as opposed to a financier. It was ultimately decided that a new Hulk film would benefit from a deviation away from the style of film that Ang Lee made, and these new efforts would eventually culminate into the second entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, 2008's The Incredible Hulk, starring Edward Norton and directed by Louis Leterrier. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me. But wait, 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 back up. What about Radical Entertainment? They'd created this excellent system for a Hulk video game and now had a much greater idea of what people would want from a game featuring the character, right? And it turns out that both Radical and Vivendi Universal Games weren't willing to sit on the sidelines while the movie studios were dragging their feet on the creation of a new film, because in December of 2004, they made quite the announcement. They'd be following up their first effort with the Hulk in a brand new game, which promised to go even further than the one they'd already made. The biggest piece of info to come out of it? No more Bruce Banner levels. This time, you'd play solely as his powerful alter ego, but now unleashed into something of an open world. For Hulk gamers everywhere, the summer of 2005 couldn't come soon enough, and when it did, they'd be treated to what still stands as the definitive gaming experience for Marvel's Incredible Hulk. But my friends, that's a story for another time. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Before I leave you completely for the month, I wanted to answer some listener questions I received from Alex, who hails from Michigan. He asks, What are the essential elements for a great comic book video game? What character hasn't had a game that should? Lastly, what hero should have the next Arkham-style game? Well, Alex, I tend to think that the essential elements for any comics-based game change entirely, depending on the character you're profiling. Treyarch's Spider-Man games were ultimately very well regarded because they nailed web-swinging and acrobatic combat. Raven's Wolverine game pushed forward the thrill and power of Berserker Rage and Indestructible Claws and its combat mechanics. The Arkham games got to the point of Batman's resourcefulness, gadgetry, and his desire to appear omnipresent to his enemies. So to answer that properly, I guess it depends on the strength of a developer to hone in on the most important aspects of actually feeling like a specific character. The best-regarded Superman games feel amazing when you fly. The Marvel Ultimate Alliance games emphasize how powerful the heroes are when they're banded together. THQ's Punisher put the power of life and death in your hands against the scum of the earth. As far as what character needs a game that hasn't gotten one yet? Well, I'd love to see a Red Dead Redemption-style game with Jonah Hex, but I'm still continually astonished that we haven't had a console-based solo game featuring The Flash. We got close once, but I'll be sure to tell you that story in a forthcoming Point One issue. As far as a hero that needs an Arkham-style game? Well, I actually think that would work really well for Daredevil, but that might just be me. Thanks for the questions, Alex. And with that, we're going to wrap up this issue of Comics on Consoles and the story of the 2003 video game tie-in to Hulk. 
I hope you enjoyed the show and that it might spur you to give this game a try. If you are interested in playing it, then you can do so by dusting off your old PS2 or GameCube. Alternatively, you can play it via backward compatibility by playing the GameCube version on a Nintendo Wii or an original Xbox version on an Xbox 360. Or if you're one of the people still holding onto a first-generation PlayStation 3, then you can play the PS2 version on that system. Whatever you do, I hope that you'll be sure to come back next month as we explore another comics-based video game. Speaking of which, you may have noticed that February will be the month that fans the world over get to watch the first comics-based movie of 2016. I thought it might be fun to tie into this with the show, so next month we're going to descend into the disgusting and maybe even nauseating mind of none other than the Merc with a Mouth. That's right. Come back next month for Comics on Consoles issue number 4 as we dive into the 2013 video game Deadpool, developed by High Moon Studios and published by Activision, originally released on Microsoft's Xbox 360, Sony's PlayStation 3, and PC. Recently Activision released versions for the Xbox One and PlayStation 4, so when the Twitch stream takes place for issue number 4, I'll be playing through the Xbox One version. In any event, look for that issue to drop sometime in February. In the meantime, you can follow Comics on Consoles on Facebook and Twitter, and be sure to subscribe to the show on Podbean or iTunes. Keep your eyes peeled to the social media channels of the show to find details on the dates and times of our Twitch broadcasts, and you can also follow my channel so that you'll be notified when a broadcast starts. You can also check out the prior broadcasts on YouTube. Just search for Comics on Consoles. Until next time, keep saving the world, gamers and comics fans. After all, the world needs people who continue to believe in heroes. So, why not play one in a video game? Thanks again for listening, take care, and we'll talk with you again soon.